The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another new episode of Unique Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, and I'm glad you're here. If you're new to the podcast, then before we get started, I just want to give a quick disclaimer that even though I am a licensed therapist and this podcast is called Unique Therapy, this podcast does not stand to serve as a replacement or a substitute for actual mental health services or therapy itself. But you know, like I always like to say, it might encourage you to go to therapy or it might encourage you to look at something different or in a different way if you're already in therapy. That is really what my hope is for this whole thing. Now, today I'm doing a solo episode again and we are talking about something more in line with what I specialize in as a therapist and that is eating disorders. And I was preparing to do an episode on body image because it's summer and you know that starts to get a little bit more wonky and sensitive as we walk into the hotter months where we might be exposing more parts of our bodies and that might start to get uncomfortable and less desensitized in some ways. However, as I was doing that, I kind of got sidetracked and we're going to talk about something a little bit different than that, but kind of in the same regards. And we're going to be talking about orthorexia. I've touched on this before on the podcast, but we are going to talk about it a little bit more in depth today. And if you are unfamiliar with what orthorexia is, it's a type of disordered eating where someone becomes obsessed with the health of foods. Orthorexia is not yet recognized in the DSM itself alone, which the DSM is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders. But regardless of that, this type of obsession of food can lead to an official diagnosis of eating disorders that are already in there. You can be diagnosed with an eating disorder in a couple of different ways, which we don't need to go into, but this can lead to one of those really easily. And again, in its simplest terms, orthorexia means an obsession with healthy eating. And someone who might develop orthorexia most likely doesn't start out being obsessed or start out wanting to develop something that is icky or bad or unhelpful. But things can take 
pretty fast turns. And it's not just due to reasons associated with the individual, like having an addictive personality. It's very much connected to our culture and the messaging companies and brands use to attract and elicit business and the manipulation involved and how diet culture sells their ideals and products in order to push business. So we're going to talk about this. And before I get into any of the things that come with um, our culture and some of the stuff that's pushed towards us that kind of like impact or influence or even just like highlight orthorexia as a good thing, we're going to talk about what it might look like. Just so if you know somebody or you yourself, you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm like teetering on that line. This is some of the things that um, come with Uh, having this type of disordered eating. And I'm taking these straight from Nita's website. So that's the National Eating Disorder Association. So nita.com. So we're I'm gonna just want to credit that back to them. These are not my words. So if you're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I took this from the professional professionals. Okay, so this would be compulsive checking of ingredients lists and nutrition labels, an increase in concern about the health of ingredients, cutting out an increasing number of food groups, like all sugar, all carbs, all dairy, all meat, all animal products. And again, one of these doesn't elicit orthorexia. Like if you're just like, I'm a vegetarian or I have celiacs, that is not orthorexia. It's combination with other parts of these and the why behind you're doing it. Also an inability to eat anything but a narrow group of foods that are deemed healthy or pure or clean or good unusual interest in the health of what other people are eating and how they're fueling and and feeding themselves. Spending hours per day thinking about what food might be served at upcoming events. Showing high levels of distress when safe or healthy foods aren't available. Obsessive following of food and healthy lifestyle blogs on Twitter, Instagram, or any type of social media. And in the past, this might have looked like collecting a lot of books on these things as well. And body image concerns may or may not be there. This isn't always associated with body image issues. This is specifically talking about being highly, highly concerned about the health of things and the cleanliness of things and the goodness of things. And when it's talking about being obsessed with like the health of ingredients, it even goes down to like, not only is it a pure food, like, I don't know, an apple, it has to be like an organic apple or a certain type of apple because it has that apple has certain ingredients and it's the best type of vitamin, whatever in that specific apple or like the ripeness of something. So I will only eat bananas if they're this color or I'll only eat avocados if they're this firm or it just could get very, very, very specific. Now, where does this come from? And has this always been an issue or is this new? And if it's new, why might this be coming into our view now? So I kind of love, I did not do this on purpose, but I kind of love how I wish that I had this much like, what is it, foresight into like planning. But uh, no, I didn't plan this, but I like that it worked out this way, that this episode is falling right after the one we did on brainwashing and cults. Because as I discussed in that episode, I talked about how people can't just be brainwashed unless there is some part of them that wants to believe what it is they are stepping into. And most people who end up looking like they were brainwashed by a cult start the process with really good intentions. They want a better life. In this case, in the case of orthorexia, the cult of clean eating, these people are simply wanting to fit in in society. They want to avoid current or future health complications. They want to feel more confident or comfortable in their own body. Like the list goes on. There are very good reasons for walking into what might set somebody up to developing this kind of disordered eating. 
In fact, every single person I've ever talked to that has experienced this reports it starting out in a positive way, starts out on like taking care of themselves in a more intentional way. And how many of us out there have heard how the food we eat affects our health? A hundred percent of us. The issue is not that that's false. The issue is to what extent does it affect our health and how do we know, like where are we getting this information and how far are we willing to go? If clean eating promises a life free of any ailments plus happiness, I would for sure give it a second take, but does it like, does it really, where is the data that shows us that and how much does eating clean impact the quality of our life and how much does eating clean take away the quality of our life? And I just like want to give this disclaimer I hate the term eating clean but for the sake of what we're going to talk about I'm going to keep using that term for this episode because I think that that could have so many different meanings and interpretations and problems in itself and that's part of the reason why I mean we'll get into it later but I talk about the eat clean diet anywho this is one of those things that you have to look at how do we balance our mental and physical health? How do we not just look at one of them and how do we look at them combined? We have to work together on this because if we can avoid joint pain by cutting out three food groups, but then we develop an anxiety disorder, are we helping ourselves or hurting ourselves? Like where's the line and which one is the bigger issue and does it have to be one or the other? Now, a bigger problem arises also for those who have the biological, social, and psychological precursors for developing an eating disorder. These seemingly innocent and helpful lifestyle changes that are included in some of what diet culture sends us as like good things to do to like take care of yourself can actually have very opposite effects, especially as the diet, wellness, and beauty industries continue to reap the enormous financial benefits of these humans growing addictions to their content. I remember back when I began getting like super into health and fitness in college, I was a super, super heavy follower of this woman named Tosca Reno or Reno. I don't actually even know how to say her name correctly. And she, like I was mentioning earlier, as I was saying, eat clean, she had this book called the eat clean diet. I bought her cookbooks. I became engulfed in the principles of her clean eating and how they promise things that I now know are literally not connected to each other at all things like happiness, things like finding love, uh, self-love, and like a fulfilling life. Those are not attached to the foods you're eating. (laughs) Finding love and like practicing self-love and being happy are not connected with cutting sugar out of your diet. Seems really simple to say now. Or maybe not. Maybe you're like, yes, they are. We're going to talk about why you might think that during this episode. And I actually went to her website and read her bio while I was preparing for this episode. And the last paragraph of her bio literally had me laughing out loud. And her life is actually a bit tragic. And it seems that since my unfollowing of her and her brand, she's been through some like really tough stuff. And that's not what I was laughing about. There's actually not one funny thing about the trajectory of her life. And I do have a lot of empathy for her. What made me laugh is the fierce dedication to connect her emotional resilience to a diet or in reality, her commitment to doing whatever it takes to keep her business and brand alive, even if that includes using manipulative, attractive statements that have the ability to draw in vulnerable people while making impossible promises of a better life. Also, spoiler alert, 
when the promises don't actually work that these people talk about when they don't come true, it ends up being the individual's fault, not the fact that what they were promised was impossible. As in, you're a failure, not the program. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. So I just want to read the last paragraph of her, her bio because I just need you guys to hear what I, I'm talking about. She says, or whoever wrote this says, the challenges I have endured make me an expert in these areas. I know what it is to lose a husband whom I love deeply to cancer. I know what it is to lose a stepson. I know what it means to face bankruptcy and to worry how to pay the rent or eat. I know what it feels like to lose your way. These things make me an expert, and this is what I bring to you now, along with my clean living principles. I can help you. I bring you the elixir of life. 
what I hear in her words are the elixir of life, how to build resilience, how to get over all these trials and tribulations, how to enjoy your life through pain, heartache, tough things are my clean eating principles. So there's that and the clean eating diet. And I was all for that at one point. And I remember in that time, I also am digging up these memories of watching the documentary Forks Over Knives and the fear that was instilled in me and experiencing this dilemma around eating meat and how was I going to be a vegetarian, even though I didn't want to be. But like now after watching that documentary, I thought I was going to get all these diseases. And also like, am I the problem? Am I a bad person because I'm eating these things? And how do I become a crusader in in the anti-animal? eating business and all of that and so I have the clean eating fear instilled in me and I want to you know live my best life in that area and then I have the people who are telling me that I'm the problem when it comes to like animal slaughtering and all of that which I will say there's probably some truth to a lot of the poor care that is put into how animals are processed for human consumption I'm not an expert in that and I'm not saying I am but I'm just saying at this time in my life, I was consuming all of this different information that was creating a lot of fear in what I was eating, how I was eating, how I was going to be a good person and also be the healthiest, best person at the same time. And speaking of being a vegetarian, I was also recently reminded by a book from the past by a client that luckily I haven't actually read this book. I am very grateful that I did not read this book at this time. But I ended up doing some research on the book because of what I was talking about with my client. And I was shocked, but at the same time, not shocked by what I found. And I'm talking about the skinny bitch diet, which is a fad diet, basically veganism at its core. But this book, Skinny Bitch, is written by a model, one, and an animal advocate and a, a modeling agent. So... Kim, I don't know how to say her last name, Barnuin, and then Rory Friedman created this. And this book, I somehow found like a PDF of the whole book online, which I don't know if that's normal, but I found it and I started reading through it. And the first thing I noticed is the constant language that they use and the demeaning and degrading language they use and the terms they use, like don't be a fat pig anymore. And they try to like motivate you to follow this diet using this language and it's very shame-based and to me it was very off-putting but I also think that depending on the spot in life you might be that shame might force you into something because you don't want to be a fat pig and they're telling you that that's bad now I want to introduce you to one particular paragraph for reference of this book and uh, this one literally I sent it to so many people and was like can you believe this was written and people soaked this up The title of this chapter where this excerpt came from is called You Are What You Eat. And I was talking all about how like you shouldn't eat animal products because of how the animals are prepared. Very similar to the Fork Over Knives documentary. But this was just a very different delivery where that one kind of tore on my heartstrings. And this one just made me feel like a, a shitty person. And also like I was very scared. And they write, think of how you feel when you're angry, afraid and grief stricken. Bear in mind the physical feelings that accompany these emotions. These emotions, fear, grief, and rage, produce chemical changes in our bodies. They do the same to animals. Their blood pressures rise. Adrenaline courses through their bodies. You are eating high blood pressure, stress, and adrenaline. You are eating fear, grief, and rage. You are eating suffering, horror, and murder. You are eating cruelty. You are what you eat. 
You cannot be thin and beautiful with a glowing complexion when you eat fear, grief, and rage. Y'all, think about reading that and hearing that in a vulnerable state, or really any state. The language that's used in this book and throughout this book is some of the most shaming, the most scary that I found, not just in my research for kind of going through this episode, but like in the existence of me working in this field. I'm going to read a couple other quotes that I found that also give a nice picture of what I'm talking about. These are direct quotes too. Like I'm almost like, did I add something to these or did I make them worse to prove a point? No, these are just in the book. So here, here they are. Perhaps you have a lumpy ass because you are preserving your fat cells with diet soda. Whenever you see the word fat-free or low-fat, think of the words chemical shitstorm. You are what you eat. You are a human body compromised of organs, blood, and guts, and other shit. The food you put into your body works its way through your organs and bloodstream and is actually part of who you are. So every time you put crap in your body, you are crap. Milk equals fat. Butter equals fat. Cheese equals fat. People who think these products can be low-fat or fat-free equal fucking morons. And the most confusing one that I found... Now that you're a skinny bitch, don't turn into a skinny bitch. We conceived the title skinny bitch to get attention and sell books, but we are not bitches and we have no desire to promote bitchiness. There is nothing uglier than a pretty woman who's nasty. If you look great, you should feel good about yourself and be happy. And dear God, I have so many issues with that little part, especially the last one. You should feel good about yourself and be happy as if like looking away. It's like the message that we are trying to pull away from society is that what you look like does not have to have a direct impact on how you feel. And also you get to decide what looking great even looks like. But the part that's confusing to me is this whole book is written in the most, I mean, using their language, bitchy terms ever. It's a mean book. It is a mean book. But then they're saying, we're not bitches you should be happy and essentially be like nice and kind. And it's like, I don't know anybody who's developed like a kind attitude and personality by being surrounded and being motivated by cruelty. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just don't get how that makes any sense at all. So then this leads me to something that's way more mainstream and common, something called the Whole30. And this is one of my worst memories. And I was all in. I did the Whole30 like four times and I was the person posting about it on social media. Like I have to take accountability for this. I was sucked in to this. Like I was sucked into some of these other things, not the skinny bitch book, but you know what? If I would have read it, who knows? But the whole 30 is one of the most common diets I hear about when I'm working with clients. Like one of the most common diets that people are doing and have done in a lot of ways, the whole 30, which is promoted as not a diet. It's one of the worst diets because It pretends that it's not one, but it literally is. I remember getting this book and I remember specifically highlighting the part where they said, oh my gosh, this memory, it brings back like feelings like all throughout my body. But I remember specifically highlighting and like sending this quote to people because I like thought it was so great. And it's where they said, this is not hard. Don't you dare tell us this is hard. Quitting heroin is hard. Beating cancer is hard. Drinking your coffee black is not hard. And As a mental health professional, even though I don't think you have to be a mental health professional to know this, but as one, I know that one of the easiest ways to become obsessed with a food and to make it really hard to not eat it is to tell yourself you can't have it. So this literally is the definition of hard. And even with that, it's unnecessary. This is an unnecessary program. 
And I bring all these things up because the pedestal that these programs and the people involved in them have been put on has undoubtedly played an active role in the increase of orthorexia and the minimization of the negative effects of all of this stuff, in my opinion, and the pointlessness of them. A lot of these programs are pointless, and I'll get more into that towards the end of this conversation. But it is not a secret that diet culture continuously ties the path to hope, happiness, and all the things that you want to whatever it is selling. Programs like the Whole30 do you double because not only do they use this to reel you in, then they incorporate both shame and fear to keep you there in a way that is very attractive. And again, this goes to the clean eating thing that I was talking about in the beginning. When it doesn't work out the way it was in quotes supposed to, it ends up being your fault. So maybe you should try it again. Or you call yourself a loser and you succumb to the idea that you'll never have the body you want. So then you'll never get those things that were promised either, like the happiness and the good life. And since Whole30 is one of the most popular non-diet diets I hear about as a therapist, I want to spend some extra time talking about it and talking about the dangers of it and why I don't like it and why I have a problem with it. And I say all this knowing that like I used to promote this. So you know that quote that I like to repeat all the time, you get to change your mind. I've changed my mind on this as I gained new information. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... 
actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. So if you're unfamiliar with Whole30, here are the cliff notes. And I'm taking this from their actual website. I'm not putting any spin on this. I'm not paraphrasing it. I'm literally taking all of this word for word from their website. And on the page of their website that like you click on, it says, what is the Whole30? This is what it says. The Whole30 has been changing lives since 2009 when co-founder Melissa Hartwig Urban blogged about a 30-day dietary experiment that transformed her health, habits, and emotional relationship with food. Since then, millions of people have changed their lives with the Whole30 program, eliminating cravings, improving energy and sleep, reporting an improvement in allergies, anxiety, chronic pain, digestive issues, skin conditions, and losing weight healthfully and sustainably. And then on that same page, in response to what is this, they quote the founder, Melissa Hartwig Urban, saying, what is this? It's 30 days of self-care, 30 days of new healthy habits, 30 days of community. The whole 30 has the power to change your life and you are worth it. Which is like similar rhetoric to the bio I read from the clean eating diet page as well. And notice a the theme. Now, we're going to talk about their rules. Yes, their food rules. Yet yeah, this isn't a diet, <laughs> which is like, what? that's literally what a diet is. But here's what their rules are. Um, it's 30 days and you can eat, they say, real food, which includes to them, the only real food is meat, seafood and eggs, vegetables and fruit, natural fats, herbs, spices and seasonings. You have to eat foods with simple or recognizable lists of ingredients or no ingredients at all because they're whole and unprocessed. So that's what you can have. So that means you can't have a lot of things. For 30 days, you can't have any of these. You can't have any sugar, real or artificial. This includes things like maple syrup and honey, which I have my own feelings on that because that's real to me. But like anything, like no date syrup, no monk fruit extract, no agave nectar, no, like not even just like you can't have stevia and Splenda and uh, like high fructose corn syrup or any of that. Like you can't have honey. Okay, no alcohol in any form, none whatsoever. No grains, that's wheat, rye, barley, oats, oats. Like I, you, can, you can't have oatmeal, that was a huge one for me. No corn, rice, millet, bulgur, sprouted grains, any gluten-free anything, any like quinoa things, nothing, none of it. No legumes, so this includes beans, black, red, pinto, navy, garbanzo, chickpeas, white kidney, I mean, all of the beans. No peanuts no peanut butter, all forms of soy. And they do make an exception. You can have green beans and most peas, which says see the fine print. Like you have to be specific, most peas, but not all peas because one pea might kill you, but the others will make you feel great and perfect and wonderful. I don't know. No dairy of any kind. Cow, 
goat, sheep, no milk products, no cream, nothing. The only exception here, oh, you can have clarified butter or ghee. Again, it says, see the fine print. No carrageenans or sulfates. So if this is in anything in the label, you can't have it. No recreating baked goods or treats. No junk foods with approved ingredients. So you can't even have like, let's say they have all approved ingredients, but you like mash them up into a pancake, like the banana egg pancake things that people make. You can't have that. You can't have anything like that is approved, like coconut milk ice cream, like none of that. They say your cravings and habits won't change if you keep eating these foods, even if they are made with whole 30 ingredients. So it's literally saying like, even if you can fake yourself into thinking that you're having ice cream by like blending a banana, you can't have it because you shouldn't want to have ice cream. Like what in the world? Okay. So there's that. And no stepping on the scale or taking measurements. So this is where they say your reset is about so much more than just weight loss. Focusing on your body composition means you'll miss out on the most dramatic and lifelong benefits of this plan has to offer. That's their little thing to say. This is not about losing weight and changing what your body looks like. Okay. I'd be interested to see like how many people follow that and then still say that they do the whole 30, you know? And then they say, give us 30 days. Your only job during the Whole30 is to eat Whole30 compatible foods. Your only job is to stick to the Whole30 rules for 30 days straight. No cheats, no slips, no special occasions. This isn't a hazing or a boot camp. The requirements for 100% compliance is grounded in science. We call the Whole30 a reset, but at its heart, the Whole30 is an elimination diet. Elimination protocols have been around since the 1920s, and many doctors see how they're using all these buzzy things. Many doctors say that they are still the gold standard in identifying food sensitivities, but only if you do them by the books. One bite of a pizza, one spoonful of ice cream, one sip of beer within the 30-day period, and you've broken the reset, and you have to start over again on day one. You must commit to the full program exactly as written, 100% for the full 30 days, Anything less, and you are selling yourself and your life-changing results short. It's only 30 days. So here's the thing. Whole30 often falls short itself of its claim that it will cause you to eliminate all your food cravings and make them disappear, like magically disappear. As if like you don't eat ice cream or anything that resembles ice cream for 30 days, you're never going to want ice cream again. They can't claim that. Like that is an insane claim to make. And that also goes back into this idea when it doesn't work, it's because like you failed in some way, like you did something wrong and it's not the program because this program has worked for millions of people. Yet, I have not met one person who has not talked about counting down the days for it to be over, counting down the days that they can have a glass of wine, counting down the days where they can just go out with their friends and have a carefree night and eat pizza, counting down the days where they can have something as simple as oatmeal. I have not met one person who has not talked about that. Day one is rarely the first step of their 10-day introduction phase for people. It's usually day one of either binging a food you've been unnecessarily restricting or day one of having a really hard time normalizing foods again and entering back into normal eating patterns. That's pretty rare for a lot of people to just enter back into that I can like treat food as food again and take out the morality or fear or shame involved in eating. And in some cases, like especially my own, 
I created huge, huge, huge fears around foods that used to be staples in my earlier restrictive part of my eating disorder. As in, I spent months being afraid of eating oatmeal. Again, plain oatmeal. Like I would put nothing in my oatmeal and I could not eat it because I was afraid that every time I ate it, I was gonna bloat or I was gonna have this kind of pain or it was gonna cause me to gain weight. Like I was afraid of oatmeal and I feel really sad for that part of me looking back. Now, while floating around their website, I also thought it was very interesting that I found how I mentioned that quote earlier, the one that stuck out to me the most when I was doing the Whole30 myself and reading the book. And I'm going to say the quote again. It's not hard. Don't you dare tell us this is hard. Quitting heroin is hard. Beating cancer is hard. Drinking your coffee black is not hard. I found this really interesting because they actually bring that quote up on their website. And while they're not taking this quote, line out of their mission because apparently per their website in quotes thousands of people have told us that this line is finally what motivated them to start the program and change their lives notice they don't say change their lives for the better because that motivated me to change my life and it ended up being worse but maybe i'm the only one that that happened to i doubt it but you know i thought oh this would be awesome maybe they're putting this quote on there to talk about how they've changed their mind and and they've gotten new information and now they don't see that shame as a helpful way of uh, encouraging people to create lasting and lifelong healthy behavior change and all that and no <laughs> they don't want to take away this phrase because like they said thousands of people have used this to actually grab onto the program and I assume that they don't want to take that away because that would take money away right they decided they wanted to play both sides of the fence because they also want to appeal to those who don't get motivated by shame by saying, and this is from their website, we'll always leave that line untouched because it speaks to where we were when we created the whole 30 and the many people that message has inspired. Now we want to share something else. We know this is hard. It may not be as physically challenging as birthing a baby or as emotionally draining as the death of a loved one but changing the way you think about food is hard. Our relationship with food is an emotional one. Food is our comfort, our reward, a trusted friend, a mother's love. You've got food habits, traditions, and associations that go all the way back to childhood. You can't imagine how you would live happily without certain foods in your life. And we are asking you to give those foods up for an entire month. Yes, the idea is threatening, scary, downright paralyzing. How will you celebrate, manage your stress, deal with a tough day at the office, bond with your family, and enjoy life without cake, chocolate, wine, or bread? <sighs> so the issue that's here is, I mean, that is a well-written statement. And yeah, I agree with all of that. Like this stuff is hard and two things can be hard at the same time and the varying degrees don't negate one from the other. All that they're saying right there is, super true. And the issue that I have with this is this is a perfect, beautiful example of gaslighting. At first, you undoubtedly profess that this isn't hard. And then in the next breath, you're saying that it is. So is it not hard? And should I just get over it? Or should I offer myself compassion? I'm so confused here. And I'm really not sure what would have been wrong with just acknowledging that only eating pure meat, vegetables and fruits for 30 days was hard. And we can do hard things like that. If you wanted to create some messaging, that's what I would go with. Not that I want to help this program, but 
that's the marketing scheme that makes sense to me and kind of takes the complicatedness out of this. But instead, they're going to tell you these two opposite things. And listen, I am all for the both and I'm all for the two things that exist at the same time. But they are literally contradicting themselves in the same paragraph so that they can be attractive to multiple types of people. They don't want this program to only be pigeonholed to one type of person. They want anybody who sees Whole30 to think that it's the program for them. And I don't like that. I really don't like that. Also, besides all of that, this is really challenging and really hard for a lot of reasons, but let's not ignore how privileged this diet is. The time, the money, the energy, the brain space that would have to go into this is unreal. Trust me, I've done it multiple times and I was a single person not working full time. So I had an excess of essentially free time and it was really freaking hard and took a lot of space in my life to do this. It was hard. And for just anybody to be able to do this and put that much energy into what they're eating is scary to me because of what you have to give up and what we're saying is important and what we're telling people is important. And also, again, gaslighting that we're going to say that this isn't difficult to basically surround your life and everything that you do around the preparation and what is in your food. But none of this even addresses the main issues with programs like Whole30. One of the main issues is they are just not necessary. They capitalize on saying things like elimination diets have been around since the 1920s. Well, okay, heroin has been around since like the 1800s. And if that seems harsh, bifocals were invented in the 1700s. So that is like, it just doesn't make sense for saying like this has been around for a long time. So that means it's, it therefore has credibility. And yeah, bifocals and glasses, those are good things. Those are helpful things. But what does it matter when they were invented? Posturing an elimination diet to the general public is like posturing wearing prescription glasses to the general public. Not everybody needs them. And when they were invented, doesn't matter. It does not have any literally any bearing on the validity or the goodness or the helpfulness or the healthiness of them. And it doesn't also have any validity on the fact that certain people need them and certain people don't. Whole30 is a business. The Eat Clean Diet is a business. Skinny Butch book was a business move. Like all of these are businesses. Forks Over Knives, that had a business behind it. That was that people were making money. There was agenda attached to it. And while there are many, many businesses that exist to help people, this one very clearly to me does not. It's a perfect example of how to use information that sounds right, could be right, and just enough that actually is right to reel people in and make a shit ton of money. The goal here to me cannot be actually helping people. If that were the case, I think there would be less applauding the weight loss associated with the program. There would be more advocation to not use this as a weight loss tool. But the thing is, when you use it as a weight loss tool, and a lot of people do, I would love to see like actual research on how many people do this because they are feeling a food sensitivity or their doctor said we need to do an elimination diet. And how many people are using this as a jump start to losing weight or a quick fix to like lose weight or do something or reduce bloating or whatever it is. But when you use this as a weight loss tool, even if it's not the point of why this thing was invented, the Whole30 business gained something. Whole30 promises to help people feel better. 
It promises to help people find food sensitivities and cure unhealthy habits. But what they also advocate for is unhealthy, rigid rules around food that they call boundaries that are actually really just food rules. What they also advocate for is morality of food while also adjusting the anti-diet term food freedom as a term to give their program more credibility. I have a lot of passion when it comes to things like this. And I think you guys can probably tell one, because I personally have been a, a victim of the false promises. And that is in conjunction with my own ignorance of health and wellness. And I also am seeing every single day, other people that have been victims to this as well. People that again, go into this wanting something good, wanting a better life, wanting those promises, wanting to be happy. Nobody becomes orthorexic because they want to be sad. I wanted something better and I got something really confusing. And this is not an anti-health podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to helping people find the highest form of both physical and mental health that they can. But we don't find that through shame or fear or being perfect. We find it through doing the best we can with what we know until we know more. And what we know now is that dieting doesn't work. We know that for a fact. And we know that marketing things as anti-diet that are actually diets doesn't work for the consumer. It works for the people selling something. And I really am not upset with anybody who has created one of these programs, anybody who has written one of these books. I'm not upset with that because I think that at certain points, the intentions around the development of some of these things were really good. What I get upset with is as we gain more information, as we have research that says like, this is false, this is not true, this is harmful, we're not adjusting our plans, we're not adjusting our language, and we're not apologizing to the people that we've hurt. We're just continuing to hurt people and promote something that continues to hurt people. There's complete credibility to the fact that certain foods add certain things to our lives and certain foods depending on the person, can be harmful to people. But candy isn't poison, and you're not going to die from drinking Diet Coke. I don't know who needs to hear that, who needs to have me repeat that. I needed to hear this a long time ago, but you will not die specifically from drinking Diet Coke. You can have that and not be afraid that you're going to drop dead in a year from specifically drinking Diet Coke. I'm not a dietitian, so I'm not going to speak specifically to what foods we should be eating and what quantities and in what combinations and any of that. But what I am is a mental health professional who knows how engaging and hearing this language over and over that is postured in these diets and these programs and these books and these influencers, I know how that can negatively affect our mental health and our well-being. And I also know that our mental health literally is connected to how we feel physically, literally connected to how our bodies operate. We get to identify what the best version of our life looks like and how we want to go about finding that. There isn't one way to feel and one way to look and one way to eat. And we get to be the deciders of what the line of ideal looks like for ourselves. And that's what I want to leave you guys with today. People who struggle with orthorexia can come off as stuck up or can even themselves feel superior. Trust me, I've been there. But it doesn't have to be this way or feel this way. We can each find our own level of health and that be okay. And if dedicating the majority of your life around what you're eating and how your food is prepared is taking away from the quality of how you get to interact and experience your life, I want you to know that there are more options out there. I can promise you that. So again, I didn't intend this episode to actually go down this road, but it did and I'm glad that it did. And I want you guys to really think about like, what's the most harmful thing? 
becoming obsessed and developing anxiety disorders and eating disorders surrounded by the overanalyzation of the food that we are putting in our bodies second by second by second by second or eating a bag of Doritos. I don't know. I have my own assumption. I'm going to let you guys answer that question for yourself. If you have any questions about this episode, please feel free to email me, Catherine at UniTherapyPodcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at, at UniTherapyPodcast and me, myself specifically, at cat.defata, D-E-F-A-T-T-A. I uh, hope you guys have the day you need to have. If you're listening to this on Monday when it comes out, I hope you have the Memorial Day you need to have, whether you are working or not working today. And I will be back on Wednesday for Couch Shocks. Bye guys. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts i used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich man Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts